Well, the hits keep coming at you, don't they? It's like you can't ever catch a good break. What's up? What it do? It's your girl, Just Be Real, and welcome back for another episode of Just Be Real Podcast. I don't know about y'all, but life be lifing sometimes, and especially in the economy we're in right now, sometimes we just need somebody to lift you up, okay? There'll be a lot going on, but it seems like we're always in this never-ending fight, not just against society, but some of those in our same culture, as well as just life's adversities. Enough of me chatting. Let's get real. My people, my people, what is going on? Another week in January, we're here. First of all, it's the fact that January must have some place to go because why are we in our second week by to be in our third? And it seems like we got one more week left before January is over. Like, what is tea? Like, 2023, slow down, little mama. Being, we ain't rushing you. You just got here. But um, hopefully you guys had a great week. Um, I just celebrated my Founders Day on Friday. When I say Founders Day, first of all, people always think Founders Day has to be celebrated with your sorority sisters. I didn't, per se, do that. I mean, of course, you know, I showed my love, sent the, you know, hugs and kisses, you know, virtually. But I feel like Founders Day should be celebrated the way you want to celebrate it. Because it's you celebrating your founders the way that it would best represent them. So, I had a great Founders Day. It was on a Friday. Of course, it was lit. Um, I finally found people, well, found my people in my org um, at my current company. So, like, one of the sorors is from Eastern Region. She crossed Zeta, Zeta Pi. And Rathen was a university in Maryland. And she knew all of my pro fights. <laughs> and we were just having a conversation literally in the midst of the conversation in the group. But we did like a DST coffee time on Friday. And it was just great to know that I'm not alone. And a lot of them have high positions. Um, they are a little more seasoned. So they crossed in like the 90s, the late 80s, um, early 2000s. So I feel like I was the baby on the call, even though I was 2011. So I can imagine how anybody else would feel. But it's good to know that I have that security of my people or my sorors who are going to look out for me. So shout out to Soror Adrian. Thank you for inviting me. She's so dope. Um, the women are just down to earth. Everybody's spread out. I think people are in the Midwest, some of them in the far West. Um, not really many of them over on the East Coast, but it was just good to fellowship. And, you know, catch up with some sorors. So, ooh, my sorors. Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, I know what today is. Today is the AKA's Founders Day. So shout out to the AKA's I love and adore, mainly my little cousin, Gabby. Big happy Founders Day to her. My cousin, Joy. Big happy Founders Day to her. And then tomorrow, the 16th, is going to be for Zeta Phi Beta. Um, I know a few Zetas, mainly shout out to my sis. Uh, Sheree Nicole, if y'all haven't, go check out Just a Thought Podcast. Had some great content. She's also on the Gray Area and the Willie Moore Jr. Show. So tap in, tune in, lock in, especially because tomorrow's her Founders Day. So show her some love. Um, so yeah, January is really about sisterhood. Um, not just in our orgs, but uh, out of the three out of the four sororities, we're the only ones that literally are in January. SG Row is in November. So um it's just a good vibe to just realize what a lot of our founders paved the way for us as black women. I know mainly mine did a big, great deal being a part of the Women's Suffrage March in 1913, literally two months on the scene. March 3rd, we was out there getting racially 
you know, racially picked apart, spat on, disrespected, disregarded, but the only black sorority and the only black representation that was in the part of the procession at the at the women's suffrage march so black women out there if you ever think about your rights to vote or those who paved the way to be able to allow you to use your voice which i this is why i'm very big on showing some respect to my 22 on today with this podcast because without them i probably wouldn't have the freedom of speech to be able to speak to y'all be able to vote and exercise my rights as a black woman so shout out to my 22 founders who were from Alpha Chapter at Howard Howard University, um, from Osceola down to Edith Mont Young. I'm not going about to sit here and switch out my whole history, but 110 years of public service, the only black public service sorority, okay? Let's make it clear. Private, non-for-profit organization. So make that known. So when y'all think about it and y'all out here just realizing y'all got rights and abilities, no, my founder started it first for y'all to be able to do as such things. Okay? Literally risking risking their lives and putting it on the line. So shout out to those Deltas. Um, as y'all heard, Lift You Up, it is by Casey Gibson. It is for what I'm going to focus on today, on today's episode. I feel like... This is something I've held off, but wanted to talk about. A lot of people know of this about me, but don't know too much in-depth detail about it. So this episode is called Bruised But Not Broken. Um, y'all know sometimes I be trying to have it lighthearted, but sometimes I just feel like where we are right now in the state of consciousness and awareness, especially with tomorrow being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it's only right for me to speak on being bruised but not broken. Um, and this revolves around boxing, surprisingly. So, you know, I was talking about my founders, them paving ways for Women's Suffrage March and, you know, putting their lives on the line, being racially, you know, combated, being the only blacks in procession. Y'all know who else was ahead of that spearhead, um, if y'all don't. Um, so... Susie B. Anthony was very major and part of that movement. If y'all don't know, there's a lot of Ida B. Wells was a part of it as well. So it's 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 not just my sorors, but it's a lot that goes into it. But um, I wanted to talk about it because it associates with boxing. And I want to talk about how boxing kind of relates to life. Like, y'all know I'm good for a good analogy. Boxing kind of relates to life where... You know, you have the proper gear of protection to protect you from being fatally injured, but it's only not guaranteed because you could still get injured boxing. You can get a concussion, you can get a knockout, you know, all this kind of thing, put in a coma. There are other things that come with it, but just know that you may get bruised up, but you're not fully broken. And I feel like that's what it is. And this is mainly for my women um because i feel like we endure so much and nobody really speaks on this so i I really want to dedicate this to my my black sisters on today um just because it revolves around the whole thing of sisterhood um so it is a misunderstood art of boxing and its discipline i feel like a lot of people don't know the true origins of boxing um i've been boxing for now about to be 21 years yes little did people know I've been boxing since I was 12. Um, I would say a lot stemmed to putting me into boxing, but it was more so uh, my mom felt like I had so much energy. She wanted me to find positive ways to exert my energy. Y'all take that how y'all want to. (laughs) Um, Outside of just like putting me in Girl Scouts or having me in all these other activities, she realized I was a very athletic kid and 
would always be down for sports. So outside of basketball, there was boxing, there was martial arts. Um, and I feel like there's this misinterpretation of boxing, um, especially when it comes to females. Everybody probably thinks to so the first thing that comes to their mind is Layla Ali because she's one of the greats, of course, being her father, being Muhammad Ali. But there are others that came before her that paved the way for a Layla Ali to be a Layla Ali. Um, so I want to just take some time to pay homage to those women, to pay homage to the sport and the way it disciplines, because I don't know about y'all, but any sport that I've taken that had physical interaction outside of basketball and football, um, the art and discipline came with chess. And a lot of people don't know chess because I'm pretty sure y'all have heard the logic. Um, this person's playing chess, not checkers. Chess is a very strategic game that is a intellectual game that takes muscle, a lot of memory muscle, a lot of strategic planning before you make your next move. Hence why people say it. Um, chess is more so like you're trying to king somebody, get to the end of the road where you're trying to, you know, win the game. But in reality, with playing chess, you're trying to not just win the game, but you're trying to put somebody in a position where there's a checkmate where they can't make any more moves. So chess has allowed me, especially early in the game, you're able to castle. I won't tell you what it is. Y'all can go Google it um, as a way to protect the king. Because if y'all don't know, the king in chess is only worth one point as opposed to the queen who's worth nine points. So you do have pawns, you have rooks, you have bush-ups, you have all these other things. You have knights. But that queen is the main powerful piece and the only piece on the board that can move any way, any direction on the board. If y'all don't know, rooks can only move vertically and horizontally. Bishops can only move diagonally. And knights can only move in a three-point kind of like an L kind of circle or a three-point way. They're not really able to move as vigorously. Same thing with pawns. Pawns are literally when people say, oh, I'm using it as a pawn. They stand on the front line and protect those power pieces. They're not really worth much, but they can only move unless it's in the first 10 moves. Two spots up if you're first now moving them or one spot up and they can only move diagonal to um, acquire another piece. So once you got those pawns off the board, once you got those rooks and those knights and those, uh, those bishops, it's only left with your king and queen, and normally, nine times out of ten, if you're castling, you're keeping that king in the corner being protected by pawns and that rook so that nobody tries to put you in a checkmate. Um, and I only know this again because me doing martial arts and boxing, it's a centering. It allows your mind to just rest, and it allows you to think strategically like you do in martial arts because you're now using your body as a weapon the same way in boxing. It's a trained thing where you're using your body as a weapon where you're not allowed to use it unless it's for self-defense. So having that mindset of training the mind or training children in particular to learn chess before they get into the arts of physicality puts them in a space to know whenever you do use these moves outside of this dojo or outside of this gym, you're using it strategically where one, you're not hurting anybody who's not trained in this profession. Two, you're not catching a charge on like battery and assault. <clears throat> <laughs> where you're about to fight cases because you're literally beating somebody up um, because they're not versed in the mindset. But being strategic and knowing to know that the end goal is not to just win the battle, but win the war and literally put somebody in a position where they can't move any further, not just physically, but mentally, where it's like they're so exhausted that they don't know what their next step is. And that's how I feel it is with Bruce When I Broken, where it's like there were plenty of times where I've sparred 
and I felt defeated. Even though when you're sparring, a lot of time you have your helmet, you have your you know your mouthpiece in, you have your gloves, your hands are wrapped. Um, it's kind of like you still can get hit in the face and get a bloody nose. You still can get your jaw rock. You can still do have these other you know punches. And if you do MAA, you're using your feet now at this point. It's a lot that goes into it. So I feel like. Why not choose boxing to describe what it is to be bruised? Like, I've been bruised on several occasions. I've never had broken bones outside of the altercation I've had with my ex where it broke my nose and my ribs. But I've never really had it where I was broken, but I did have bruises. But I think that's a part of life where sometimes we have things that come at us crazy and we think it's going to break us. But whole time it's like it's leaving a bruise. But it's like, okay, when's this bruise going to heal? Like, we probably all have scars from childhood. Our knees, our elbows, and you're looking like, oh, I remember when I got this scar. And you could tell the story, but the point is you're here to tell the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're here to let us know how that scar came about, but there's a sense of pride to know that it didn't defeat me. Or that scar is just a part of me in the battle of life. Um, and that's how I feel it is with boxing. Like, I don't know if y'all know, but boxing, you can always, you have to wrap your hands there's a certain proper way to wrap your hands because your knuckles are pretty much what you're using in boxing. People have this misconception that you use your actual fist, but in reality, it's your knuckles you're using because when you put on the gloves or when you're boxing, like your knuckles are where taking the brunt, which is pretty much like your weapon, but you know how to use it in a way, in agility or speed to kind of do that situation, but your hands got to be wrapped. And normally the knuckles are wrapped the most because they take the brunt of the impact. And your thumb is pretty much, as you know, is its own little thing. So, you know, you use it to protect, to hold the other four together. That's how you make the fist. So, like, wrapping your hand even down to your wrist is important because you can break your wrist if your hand's not wrapped properly. Yeah, little do y'all know. So, those of y'all that be out here boxing and just throwing on gloves and not having your hands wrapped, if you love your hands and want to continue to use them, I suggest you wrap them and wrap them correctly, okay? Um, if you don't know what you're doing, they have YouTube, but go someplace where somebody knows what they're doing. Um, and then you put on the gloves. Sometimes people just box when they're hitting the bag, just, you know, no gloves because their hands are wrapped. And like me, I wrap and then I also put the gloves on, depending who it is or what I'm with, you know, I might do a little non-wrap, but... It's important to protect yourself at all costs because not guaranteed that nothing won't break, but it's the taking those extra precautions. I feel like in boxing, it's kind of like life where you're taking extra precautions to protect yourself, to not have harm happen. But just in case, if it does, you've known you've taken every measure. Sometimes you overanalyze what it is that the measures we need to take in life. And I feel like we put so much emphasis on the preparation that, that when it comes time to actually take the sparring or do the fight, we're like, well, I don't know if I can do this because you've had so much time to psych yourself out to believe like, is this even possible? Because you were so busy about the preparation that you forgot all about the fact that you really had a fight to fight. I feel like sometimes we get in our own head and get so focused on what we can do to prevent something from happening. But in reality, I don't know if y'all know the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That wisdom to know the difference is how it is in boxing. Yeah, you protected your hands, but how you know that if you hit somebody in the mouth and they, they mouth guard fly out that you're not hitting their teeth and you crack your own shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I have scars on my knuckles from sparring. You know what I'm saying? My knuckles ain't the same. I barely have knuckles at this point, to really be honest with you. But that's between basketball and boxing because diving for a ball to avoid backcourt violation can break your fingers. I know, firsthand. But like all my fingers are crooked 
And it's all from between basketball and boxing. But again, it's not like I didn't try to avoid that from happening. But if it happened, I can't change it because I knew the risk. You know what I'm saying? Going into it. We know the risk of some things that we put ourselves into. And we know that sometimes a great risk comes with great reward. But if you're constantly prepping it and not taking that actual risk, how much can you really reap from that benefit by putting yourself out there? It's okay. It's a sport, but both amateur and professional. And it's involving attack and defense with the fist. Boxers usually wear padded gloves and generally observe the code set forth in the Marquess of Queensbury rules. I won't go into that. But usually, like I said, it's amateur or professional. It's like you're preparing yourself to fight. But if you're not preparing yourself to be in the midst to actually have the mindset to, to match the, the matter of the body, how far are you going to get? How far are you going to get? And if you don't understand the rules of the game, you can always disqualify and count yourself out before you even get a chance to hit the ring. Mentally, we do that all the time. We count ourselves out before we get a chance to even step into the ring because we're just so concerned about, well, I'm an amateur. I don't know if I could do this. Oh, I'm a professional. I might hurt somebody. Just take the chance because the more you contemplate and you don't understand the rules of what's going on or how it's supposed to function, then you create your own rules. And sometimes that can lead us down to a path of destruction. I mean, normally in boxing, you, you're matched in weight and ability, which works out. It's kind of like wrestling. In boxing, contestants try to land blows hard and often with their fists, each attempting to avoid the blows of the opponent. So when they be like bob and weave, stick and move, it's a thing. Like to be on your tippy toes is a thing in boxing. Boxing is a full body workout. People do not realize it. Because two minutes in a ring, baby, is the longest two minutes of your life. How y'all think two minutes is long on the football field? It's the same way in boxing. Probably even longer because you're literally constantly moving to avoid something. But if you get hit, it's like you got 10 seconds and then you're out the count. That's how we have to think about it in life. Like It's crazy because when kids fall, they smile and get back up and keep going. It's like as adults, when we fall, we get back up and then we just feel so defeated. And it's just like we still stuck stick with that memory and let it replay over and over in our mind. But it's like, why not get back up? Your fists are still wrapped. You're still ready to go. Fight for the next round. Keep fighting until it's KO. And some of us get so scared about the KO that we forget that the other nine rounds before that happens, or maybe even three rounds, it could be a KO. That there's a main focus to try to do the best you can in the time frame you can. A boxer wins this match early by outscoring the opponent. Points can be trailed in several ways or by running the opponent and capable of continuing the match. Remember I told you about this KO? Bouts range from three to 12 rounds. Each round normally lasts three minutes. Speaking on boxing and the movie, Bruised. So did y'all know about Bruised? Bruised is the movie that Holly Berry directed. First all-female uh, soundtrack that she had like Cardi B. She had Rhapsody. She had Lady London. She had all the greats on there. And she pretty much was somebody who was so disoriented and was like at the top of her game when it came to boxing. And then lo and behold, she had a sudden downfall and a break in boxing where she kind of just lost herself. Like in drugs and just abusive relationships. Like when I watched that movie Bruise, it literally spoke volumes to me. Because it was just like, yo, this is my life. Like I was at my peak. I let go of boxing because I just felt like it wasn't for me. And then it wasn't until like 2013, 14, I purchased my movable bag. And like I felt like at ease so I box every Monday it's a 30 minute workout I do and it's just for me like just to know that my origins are where I'm at like and remember where how how that saved my life 
on several occasions. And when she got back and put in the true discipline to work her way back to where knowing who she was because she was bruised and not broken, the past of her drugs and her falling short in that KO didn't end her career. She ended her career with her mindset thinking that she had nothing else to fight for. Then found out she had a whole son who literally was dependent on her after a while because the, the conditions... She was lit. He was living. It wasn't at his best. You know what I'm saying? But like having a, a you know, a narcissistic mother who just took everything and threw it in her face. It was like, I have more to live for. And I want to show this little boy that you can just keep fighting because I may be bruised, but I'm not broken. The storytelling, if y'all haven't watched Bruised, is amazing. Um, and I just feel like, especially as black woman, because Holly Berry is a black woman and this is her being a director. It was also a mirror image of her going from in front of the camera to behind the camera, but also behind the camera and in front of the camera to show that sometimes, you know, in her career, we probably haven't seen too, too much of Holly over the last few years, but to know that she's still out here grinding and no matter what anybody says, she's building the door of a bridge to open up for somebody else that's coming behind her. And I respect that. Boxing first appeared as a former Olympic event in the 23rd Olympiad, um, which dates back to 688 BCE. But first fighting contest contest must certainly have had their origins in mankind's prehistory. The earliest visual evidence for boxing appears in Sumerian relief carvings from the third millennium BC. So there is some remnants of what it is and how boxing came about. But in all, all reality, it's a relief sculpture from Egyptian Thebes, which is from 1350 BCEs that shows both boxers and spectators, which allows us to see what it was like back in the day. Because everybody swears boxing is just this, you know, myriad of heathenness and primitiveness. And it's not the case. Like, it's literally a release. For some of me, like me, I don't think about it as, as much as I used to with beating somebody's ass, as much as I think about it as a mental excuse me, mental and physical release to allow me to keep my body and my mind in unison. The few extant Middle Eastern and Egyptian depictions are of bare fist contestants and at most a simple bond band separating the wrist and the earliest evidence of use of gloves or hand coverings in boxing is a carved vase from Minoan Crete, which is in 1500 BCE, that shows helmeted boxers wearing a stiff plate strapped to their fist. Bruh. Bruh. I'm sorry. Think about it. You have a plate strapped to your fist and you over here knocking niggas out. Oh, see, they were trying to do damage. That's real damage. But again, we got to think about who was doing this. Okay. But nonetheless, I feel like it became prominent in African-American culture because I still to this day feel like we just have a Vander Holyfield. We have a Mike Tyson. We have... You know, Joe Frazier, you have Muhammad Ali, but there are so many others that were like prominent in African-Americans before them. Like African-Americans also turned to boxing to fight their way to the top. And that is a quote to fight their way to the top, literally fight their way to the top to be seen because it was probably the best way to beat ass without really having no true repercussions. Like imagine a black man in this ring with a white man. You can beat their ass, but it's like, what can they really say? Because this is part of the sport. If you get your ass dragged, you get your ass dragged. But at the same token, it's like you're fighting for a cause because we wouldn't be able to beat their asses outside that ring and not, not be held in, in, uh, in contempt of a court to where it's just like you're violating uh, a white man where it's an issue type vibe. Like 
That's real. And foreign-born black boxers such as Peter Jackson, Sam Langford, and George Dixon went to the United States to capitalize on the opportunities offered by boxing. Of African-American boxers, Joe Gons won the World Lightweight Championship in 1902, and Jack Johnson became the first black heavyweight champion in 1908. First of all, are y'all realizing what I just said? 1902 and 1908 were not that long ago. 115 years ago, literally, because 1908 is when the AKAs were founded. But, like, 115 years? That's not that long ago. Like, it really isn't. And then before and after Jack Johnson won his title, prejudice against black boxers was great. Gons was frequently forced by promoters to lose to or underperform against less talented white fighters. So again, being bruised and not broken, now you're being bruised again because now they're not just taking away your strength and your ability, but you're being told to throw fights, to let whites be superior. This is why I always tell you a lot of black boxers need to do their history when it comes to boxing because it's deeper than just throwing your fist. It's deeper than training and keeping your body, but it's something that our ancestors fought for because they were always the superior and the prejudice to come with it, to tell somebody to throw a fight, like that's what we have to do now in American society, whether it's in corporate America or any place where you have a black person. Women are fighting twice as hard just to be able to be seen. Black men are fighting, you know, just as hard or maybe a little bit, a notch less just to be seen. All because these white superiority think they have this complex of things that they are untouchable. In reality, they can't never fight the fight we fighting. Don't let that go over your head. Other black fighters fought it difficult or found it difficult or impossible to contend for championships as white boxers refused to face them. Sound familiar? I'm going to pause on that one and let that marinate, okay? For instance, John L. Sullivan refused to accept the challenges of any black and Sullivan's successor, Jim Corbett, refused to fight the black Australian Peter Jackson, although Jackson had fought Corbett to a 63-round draw before Corbett became champion. Jack Dempsey continued the tradition by refusing to meet with African-American Harry Wills. That's a lot to unpack. Like, you don't want to fight me because you know I'm better than you. And you just want to go ahead and keep the title with by just forfeiting because you're just saying, like, oh, I'm not going to fight you because you're beneath me. But in reality, you know you, I'm going to beat your ass. How many white people are doing the same thing where there's just like, I know you're just using your power because you're trying to flex it. But in reality, if you're really talking about statistics and qualifications, I shit on you. That's how it is with me and my corporation. I know I'm better than the people that I work for. But because I'm black, it's not going to be able to be availed the opportunity. It's going to be more for me to have to fight for and against. Because you just feel like, oh, I want to keep my title being a successor and being better. So let me just go ahead and not subject myself to even put myself in a predicament where it can be proven otherwise. That shit bruises your ego because it makes you feel like you're not worthy enough to be put in those situations. When in reality, you're overqualified to be put in those situations. During Jack Johnson's reign as champion, he was hounded as relentlessly that he was forced to leave to the United States. Sound familiar yet again? Although women have participated in boxing for almost as long as the sport has ex existed, female fights have been effectively outlawed for most of boxing's history until recently, with athletic commissioners refusing to sanction or issue licenses to women boxers and most nations officially banning the sport. So not only were we just suppressed, were our people being suppressed, but women were told they weren't even recognized to even have the ability to do so. Mind you, we've been the ones beating ass I, forever, forever, ever. Like, huh? And then people wonder why black women, black, some black women have fragile egos. 
Because if you're constantly told you can't do something, you're going to always want to go against the grain to prove that you can do it. And then there's no hissy to, to be able to retort your statement because they try to act like it doesn't exist. Sound familiar where they're trying to erase history as if it didn't exist knowing damn well it did because they want to make themselves look like they are at the top. In 1876, the first women's boxing match was held in the United States. Mind you, I said 1876. In this match, Nell Saunders defeated Rose Harlan. Her prize was a silver butter dish. A butter dish? Y'all out here originally started with pans, hitting people with pans with string wrapped around it. But y'all give a woman a butter dish? Do you know how fucking insulting that is? I'm going to continue. In 1995, the New York Golden Globes allowed women boxers to compete for the first time. 1995. Did y'all hear what I said? 1995. Do y'all know when Layla Ali came on the scene? 1999. She was telling me only four years in to boxing being notarized. And acknowledged in the New York Golden Globes is when Layla Ali hits the scene. It's like four years after and Layla Ali hits the scene. Meanwhile, her father had prominence and a set precedent in boxing before she did. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Like, we are never seen, but then people wonder why we're able to fight back all the time. Knock me down nine times, I get up ten. Bruised but not broken. Sometimes the bruises are not always physically visibly able to see. But imagine the pain we feel with, uh, you know, our mindset, our spirituality. How we continue to press forward and still be at the top. But 1995? What? Professional women's boxing has declined in popularity in the United States and struggles to give viewership and sponsorship. Many women boxers have to fight in Mexico and Europe in order to make a good living. That sound familiar? Because did we not just get Brittany Grinder back home because she was overseas in Russia just to play to make a decent living because the WNBA doesn't pay enough? We as black women have every right to fight where we are bruised but not broken. And just because you can't see our bruises does not mean they're not there. But just know long enough for some of us where we get bruised enough where we do break. And breaking sometimes looks like suicide. Breaking sometimes looks like being in unhealthy relationships. Breaking sometimes ends up being friends with people that you know for a fact don't like you but you just don't want to be alone. Because you're tired of fighting the fight alone. Bruised but not broken. But boxing is a prime example of what it is and how we fight. We're still trying to fight for viewership in 2020 fucking three. Like, let's be for real, people. Layla Ali just retired in 2007. She had an eight-year run. Yet and still. You're telling me after still being notarized, what, almost 27, 28 years, y'all still not trying to give us the proper things we deserve when nine times out of ten, I'm sure we're better than the dudes? Come on now. It took not until Nicola Adams was the first female boxer to win the Olympic gold in 2012. Did y'all hear what I said? Nicola Adams, first female boxer to win Olympic gold in 2012. 2012, I graduated college. 2012 was just 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Yet and still, we're fighting. We're bruised, but we're not broken. But we have every right. To continue to fight because we know there are others that come behind us that have something to fight for as well. When you have a moment and you feel like you have to be alone, 
lift that person up. Lift each other up as black women. Don't just do it for social. Do it in real life. Because somebody is wrapping their hands and watching you spar, and they're ready to get in a ring right behind you. As I always say on air, let's keep it real. And always remember, be real, be true, and always be unapologetically you. My sisters, stay fighting. Because it's not over yet. <laughs>